0: And uh, not that he asked and not that anyone listening asked, but it's uh, one of those days where it seems like every appliance in my apartment is crapping the bed and the air conditioner just went out and uh, I love the air conditioning. So now I'm going to start sweating and, uh, but nobody asked about that. And we're going to be talking about Ukraine today, which means that there are a lot of people in this world who have a lot worse off than I do. And that just made me put all those things in perspective. Mr. Weicker, business shoes yourself, man.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, Yes, I am a a geopolitical and geotechnology analyst, former congressional staffer. Uh, I travel the country doing uh, education on these issues for the United States military. Various uh, tech firms have brought me out to talk to them. My main concentration for years, both when I worked on Capitol Hill and now, is space. Hence, I wrote a book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Um, But, you know, my academic background covers Russia, China, Eurasia, generally, Uh, I teach history classes as well. And so I have a a, a wide variety of, uh, of background with with sort of these issues that are plaguing us today. Mm. So I appreciate you having me on to, to talk about this.
0: Absolutely, man. Yeah. And for everybody listening the book over your shoulder, winning space, I bought this morning on Kindle and you and I are actually going to run over it next week. So uh, yeah. that will be an exciting podcast. And uh, Absolutely. yeah, well, it, it'll be interesting because uh, of everyone I've interviewed, I always kind of towards the end, I always leave them with like a, almost like a request. Like I've had on Richard yeah. Rhodes several times. I've had on Garrett yeah. Graf, and, I always kind of leave with like no one's ever written a comprehensive book on like SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative, yeah. and and I'm always I've watched probably like every interview that Lieutenant General James Abramson's given about it. You know, he was the head of it. Yeah. He's still alive. He won't respond to yeah. my emails, but you know, I've always to me it's just the most fascinating thing from particle beams to directed energy yeah. to brilliant pebbles to all of this stuff. And uh so seeing that you have a book winning space, I was like ah. Oh.
1: Perfect. And that's a huge component of, of the book as well, is oh, Abramson's yeah. work. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I think you'll enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I, I've watched I've watched those old like yeah, those like 19, early nineteen eighties videos of him. I've watched yeah. all of them. I've listened to all of them multiple times. And,
1: and I also talk about the Soviet program as well, which they did have oh, yeah. and it was pretty pretty I mean, it was pretty comprehensive on their end too. So it was pretty scary where the Cold War would have gone had Reagan not been able to affect the the bloodless defeat of the Soviets that he was able to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what was was the, the Soviet that, had that liquid carbon dioxide laser that they were going to, yeah. s- Solius, Polyus, P-O-L-Y-U-S. Yeah.
1: P-O-L-Y-U-S, yeah. Is. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then like kind of less more, more comically Soviet things. Like they put like a 30 millimeter cannon on one of their space the stations. Yeah.
1: The Almaz battle station. Yeah. 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 It's actually, Was supposed to be the precursor to a much larger military or weaponization program of space that had the system not crashed back to the earth, um, probably would have been a big problem for us.
0: Good lord. Well, so as not to, so as not to steal all the oxygen from next week's episode, (laughs) we will, I I will, I will, I will, with a sad heart, direct away from this conversation right now. Um, so kind of. For everybody listening, I mean, I have no uh, I have no dog in the fight, and I don't mean that literally, I, but I don't come down on either side of Russia or Ukraine out of any, I don't have any ideology or dogma that I have to do X or have to condemn Y. Right. For me, I'm just kind of looking at things in my own experiences with this podcast. They've made me question mainstream narratives more in the last two years than ever before in my life because I've seen firsthand interviewing multiple times Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, And then seeing them talk on, you know, seeing the news say one thing and me with my own eyes and ears, them addressing me by name, seeing something completely else. So, and I don't, hey, I got into medical school out of college. I have a biology degree. I'm not some anti vaxxer. I just, it makes me question things, especially when there's money involved. Right. All of that has sort of laid out what's going on now to where, at its face value, when I see every news station, all of a sudden all be on the same talking points and everyone be on the same side and there's no nuance and immediately uh putin's hitler and anyone that even hears out opposing arguments is the devil again much like the covid vaccine i don't care it's when i look at things though and i go well it's never this nothing's ever this black and white you know nothing's Nothing's ever as simple as 9-11 bad. It's like, well, it's we armed the Mujahideen. Like, we have to go in and look at that. What caused that? So when everyone's saying one thing and you can't even bring up a rational discussion of, hear me out, does this have to do with NATO expansion? I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Russia putting nukes with another country right next to us, right. us putting biolabs in a country right next to Ru- I'm not taking sides. I'm just saying... It makes me all a little, it kind of seems like COVID part two, like Ukraine, where it's just narrative, don't question narrative, accept it. So with that verbose uh, meandering preface, what are your thoughts on everything going on right now? And again, I have no, I have no stake on either side.
1: Well, I think the first thing to say is uh, what I've been saying for years since I worked on the Hill. I was on the Hill when the Russians invaded. I was very much involved with sort of the policy side response. Um, It takes two to tango, at that old saying. Um, There's a great book by Peter Kinrati called Who Lost Russia? And it's basically a 30-year history of the breakdown of post-Cold War American-Russian relations. And his conclusion is my conclusion, which is that... um, you know, the Russians are not, you know, good actors, but America also has misbehaved over the last 30 years and completely played a role, a very big role, particularly in the 90s and early 2000s, and basically setting us up for where we are today, which is on the brink of not only World War Three. But a nuclear world war, and and I want to make that clear for your listeners is that do not listen to these people on the media saying that oh Putin's never going to do this he can't he's going to stop it's a, this Putin feels he has been and he has in, in, himself backed himself into a corner with this Ukraine invasion where if he doesn't fundamentally change the facts on the grounds militarily he's going to lose bigly as the former president might say, and he cannot be seen as losing. Yeah, And so, you know, he will risk chemical warfare. He will risk biological warfare. Here He will escalate all the way up at least to non-strategic tactical nuclear weapons to try to fundamentally change the conditions on the ground to be more favorable to him. Uh, how did we get here? Well, you mentioned NATO expansion, and that that's a big deal. And I know a lot of my friends on the right sort of poo-poo that, but that is a big issue. Um, NATO continued to expand after the Cold War. NATO was created and it was very effective as an anti-communist, anti-Soviet defensive military alliance that was meant to stop the Reds from pushing beyond eastern Berlin uh, and East Germany. And And it did that and the Cold War ended. And it ended, as I said earlier, bloodlessly. And we should have been proud of that because nobody in 1949, when the Soviets first tested their their original nuclear weapon device, would have ever believed that the, the Cold War would have ended in anything other than a nuclear hellfire. And it didn't. And that's a testament, I think, to us as a people, as well as to Gorbachev and, and the Soviets mm-hmm. for not going there when they could have. And probably, you know, looking back on it, they wish they had, might have maybe. Um, But the Russians today also, you know, what they're doing now is incredibly egregious. Um, You know, the Ukrainians are going to be the ones who have to pay for this at the end of the day uh, with their blood and treasure. Um, And it's just, it's a tragedy all around. And really, I don't even think a majority of Russians wanted to do this. I think this was Vladimir Putin going for broke. Um, this is very much a political decision. I wrote an article back in February 28th of this year at the Asia Times where I, I write regularly. I'm a contributor there, and I basically said that Ukraine is going to be Putin's Russia, uh, is going to be Putin's Iraq. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is this is Vladimir Putin and a handful of ideologues, just like the neocons going into Iraq in 2003, not representing the majority of people in Russia, their will, uh, just doing this because they want to beat their chest and, and make a geopolitical statement. And they're going to do it no matter what. And, um, it's, it's going to be highly destabilizing. There is not going to be any return to normal after this, whatever normal is or was, uh, and it's going to be a whole new paradigm and it's going to be a bloodier one. It's going to be a more tense one. And it's going to be one in which the West and Russia are constantly at each other's throats, just as they were in the cold war. Um, and so it takes two to tango, uh, You know, we're not angels in this. The Russians, Vladimir Putin and his Siloviki, which is the name of those who surround him, they're not not angels either. Uh, It's going to be the ordinary people who pay for this, unfortunately, and that's the real tragedy. But this is not going to end well anytime soon because we understandably are going to support the Ukrainian resistance, but the more we support it, the longer the war is going to drag on and the harder Putin is going to fight. Uh, and that's where we start risking escalation in the nuclear realm, biological realm, chemical realm, space, cyber. Um, all of that's on the table. And once that sort of asymmetrical escalation starts, uh, it could lead to a, a world war. Because I do not think Putin's going to stop at Ukraine if he can get Ukraine w- it, the way he wants it. I think he's going to push into Moldova. Transnistria, I think his ultimate target is to get revenge on the polls for having started the breakdown of the Soviet Union in the 1980s. I think this is a lot about historical revenge and people need to account for the human element when we're analyzing international affairs. A lot of my colleagues in academia are incapable of doing this. There is a human element, and Putin is very much a tragic figure he's looking a, for vengeance.
0: He's a person. And that, that, yes. does, that doesn't justify what he's doing at all, at all. Right. But you have to look right. at it and realize that this isn't all just chess pieces, and this isn't right. – it's, it's not a clock. It's not and just –
1: And we helped to consent this condition. Yeah. As well. Our yeah. actions are as well. We're guilty, too, here.
0: Yeah. And it's um, – yeah, and that again, that doesn't justify it. All. What it does mean, though, is you have to start looking at it as this right. isn't just – it's very easy to – it's very easy to zoom out and you just see it from this hundred thousand foot view of where it's nation states and trillions of dollars where it almost seems like it almost seems like it's like almost geologic like it's like oh this is yeah yeah it's just almost like some sort of natural flow but you have to realize like this is a guy who said that the worst day of his life was the day the soviet union fell this is a guy who's a former kgb officer this is a guy who's has used polonium to to kill dissidents in his own nation. Right. This is a guy that has has really kind of seen the embarrassment of, you know, Mother Russia. Right. You have to tie all of that into. This isn't just, well, why is he doing it? He's a he's also a dude, right? I mean, Hitler had a complex. Hitler's dad used to beat him and his dog so much that he and his dog he said he would wake up next to his dog and that he'd be in a puddle of urine. He didn't know if it was his self or it was his dog because his dad right. used to beat him so hard. Does that justify anything Hitler did? No. But you start to go, oh, maybe this guy goes on to become some sort of bully.
1: He's he, a broken person. You
0: have to look at it. And that right. doesn't mean that he should have had any other ending than a bullet in the head inside of a bunker. But you still have to, if you, if you are seeking to understand it and right. thwart it in the future, you have to look at all these things, right? right. So... So yeah, I, I mean I look at that and it's it, so much of this. Have you ever listened to any of uh uh Dan Carlin's Hardcore History?
1: I've heard of it a little bit, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I I heard like I always would hear is like hear it get mentioned on Joe Rogan like years and years ago and I finally like went out and listened to it one time. Better than any audiobook I've ever listened to. I listened to an audiobook a week and I have for about 3 years. Better than any audiobook I've ever listened to. Is his six-part series called Blueprints for Armageddon, and it's a what it's what led up to World War One, and right. about four hours each, so it's about twenty-four hours. It, you listen to it; it'll, it'll go by in an hour. And right. the way he sets up World War One is so eerie to what's right. going on right now. Not not World War Two. Yes. But the way we stumbled into World War One, it was all these guys who they're like, we're going on the next great adventure into the, you know, guys with their, you know, they wear their class A's and they'd have their big puffy helmets and they'd have their swords and be like, we're going to war, mother. Like, it's going to be romantic and we're going to find the woman. And and then they'd get out there. And in the first two hours, their buddy's face would explode because a a Max machine gun mowed them down. And they're all thinking that it's going to be some Napoleonic water painting. And they're seeing bodies. Filling up with gas on the battlefield, and they're going, How did right. we get here? I see and, it so much right now,
1: and that's the whole thing is everybody is comparing this to Poland 1939, no, Poland, it's 1914. And them, no, it's 1914,
0: 1913,
1: 1914. This is the build up to the, to the big one, and uh, the next world war, and it's coming. and I've been saying this for a few years now, the next world war is coming. And it's gonna look a lot more like World War One than World War Two. And that's a big problem because World War One basically ended the European world order. Uh, European society to this day has never recovered from the massive losses of young men that they they took in. I mean, you look at France,
0: oh, yeah, look
1: at what came after that, it's never recovered as a society and a country. Uh, you look at the way the destruction was visited upon europe imagine that around the world with nuclear weapons biological weapons chemical weapons cyber weapons uh you know that this is this is going to be the war of all against all in a way that even world war one was not um when i i briefed the two heads number one and number two commanders over at us cybercom in 2019 when i was still living in washington dc and i had opened up something that i was saying with you know talking about this is like a new cold war. And he, he said, son, he goes, this is not a new cold war. Stop saying that. He goes, he goes, my guys and I are in combat every day. We go into the office. He said, we are engaged with the enemy every day in the cyber domain. He said, this is an open hot war. And so, um, you know, this is where it's going and we're going to be targeting civilian infrastructure. It's, it's going to be very bad. And it's the trigger point I think is Ukraine my next book is called The Shadow War, in which it's about Iran's quest for supremacy. That's a trigger point that's going to get ready, I think, to go very soon. Uh, and then the, the the Chinese over Taiwan, that's an issue as well. Um, and so those three areas are, you're watching these areas pop up, uh, you know, the arc of instability, I call it, um, and they're all lighting up. And this is all leading to a great power conflict that's going to look more like World War One, And it will be Armageddon if we're not careful. Yeah. It will It will not end well.
0: Yeah, it, it, you can't, I always, you know, I always point to, like, World War II. I mean, truly, like, the definition of total war. The only reason right. a weapon wasn't used is because we couldn't figure out how to make it. Like, That's that right. that was it. Um, right. I mean, the reason there were no ICBMs is because the rocket technology wasn't ready. The Soviets... Right. Uh, Who was it? Sanger developed the uh, the Silver Vogel, which was uh, I think it was like Silver Eagle or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and then don't forget, von Braun had his V two rocket that they were using to bomb London. Oh yeah,
0: no, yeah. The Silver Vogel was going to be manned. It was going to be a manned craft, as you probably know. You write about space, but yeah, it was like the the same basic schematics led to the X twenty dinosaur, which led to the space shuttle. Absolutely. But it was a lot
1: of those guys through paperclip operations. ended up working for us. But you know, Werner von Braun used. Uh, as a Nazi, he used Jewish slave labor.
0: Nordhausen yeah. in the, to and the Middle Works. A yeah, no, it's a, yeah, no, it's a, it's a seeing the hit scene. The sausage made is uh, it's not good. But but my point is, is the only reason those things never happened was because we just, they just couldn't figure it out or we couldn't figure it out or whatever. And, and
1: also, I, I really think leadership counts. And I, I, I'm a real big believer in the great man theory of history, which is not taught anymore, really. Um, which is basically that the force of personality of a given leader um, is more, if not as important, more important than the trends and sort of the, the, the sort of natural evolution of events. Uh, I, what I mean by that is, if you look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, for instance, JFK ultimately was going to figure out a way to restrain the impulse for nuclear war on our side. You look at Khrushchev. Now, Khrushchev was a lunatic in his own way, But at the end of the day, Khrushchev was looking for off ramps the entire time Mm -hmm. because he knew that nuclear war would he knew where that would end. Today, you have Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. Joe Biden, I do not think, is competent enough to prevent the kind of war, to do the kind of diplomacy and 24-hour-a-day you know, management of the bureaucracy that JFK and his team did uh, for those two weeks in October of 1962. Uh, Vladimir Putin is not like Khrushchev. Khrushchev was trying to preserve the Soviet Union. Um, I believe Putin is trying to expand the Russian Federation before the Russian population becomes so small, that he can't expand it anymore. If you look at the population uh, or the fertility rates and the population density of native-born Russians, that is a declining population. Uh, and so I don't believe Putin has the same restraint that even Khrushchev had and I think we are rapidly approaching a, a nuclear st- standoff with the Russians. And I don't think this, in this case, deterrence is going to work. I don't think there's going to be a balance of terror that's going to keep both sides back. You look at the rhetoric coming out of our side, you know, canceling Russian ballet dancers, canceling Russian artists, and, you know, uh, we, we can't we can't read the Brothers Karamazov anymore. Dostoevsky's being canceled on major campuses because it's, you know, he's a Russian. This is insanity. Uh, Wait until they find out that Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was the great Soviet dissident who lived in the Gulag archipelago and wrote these beautiful treatises on human will and, and human freedom, he was actually, before he died in the 90s, he was a mentor to Vladimir Putin. In fact, Vladimir Putin's entire concept of Ukraine and how it isn't a country came explicitly from Solzhenitsyn, through conversations he held with Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn was an anti-communist, but he was a fiery Russian imperialist and nationalist. And he imparted that through his writings and his conversations in the 90s with one Vladimir Putin. And so, uh, you know, we have a guy, a leader in Putin, who really is not like Khrushchev, where he will restrain himself. Uh, and this is the danger that we're in right now, which is why I'm very concerned about where the West is going in terms of its policy. Of supporting ukraine because i don't think anybody in washington really understands or accepts that we are teetering near the brink of world war three and it's going to be nuclear and it's going to get a lot of people killed
0: yeah it's not going to be it's not going to be as bad as they were it's not going to be the fire bombings of dresden or tokyo it's going to i mean my logic is this is the last time we were in a world war we successfully detonated the first a bomb on january or july 16th 1945 that evening that evening is when they started moving uh, device components to Tinian Island. Because they right. hey, it works. It works. Fire this right. thing up. August 6th, August August 9th. Y'all want a third? You want a third?
1: And remember And remember, um, the Russians took the wrong lesson away from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? So after we detonated those two nukes, most American leaders from both parties sort of Beat themselves up, going, you know, we can never use these weapons again. They're getting more advanced. They're getting more. We have to figure out a way to stop ourselves from sliding into that because this will lead to the, the apocalypse. And this was exemplified by Robert McNamara, who was Kennedy's uh, Secretary of Defense. He wrote about this later in life about his eleven rules for for success, and he talked about how nuclear weapons are nothing more than than the end of civilization. Well, unfortunately, neither Soviet nor modern Russian strategists took that message away. They were looking at the American experience in Japan with the two nukes, and they were saying, look, the Americans, for the price of two small bombs, I mean, relatively speaking, two small nukes, uh, were able to end what would have been the bloodiest invasion in history. They were able to avoid that, and they were able to decisively win over their great enemy in Japan. And so the Russians, who love artillery, who you, as we're seeing in Ukraine today, we saw in Syria over the last 10 years, they love bombs. They love They love carpet bombing targets. They have no qualms about it. So they're taking the wrong lesson. They're saying, hey, look, there is such a thing as winnable nuclear war. And we're going to be the ones to do it. The Americans showed us how to do it. Now, they're f- afraid to use the weapons that they built. We're not afraid to use these weapons. And if the Americans put us into a corner, if our enemies put us into a corner, we're going to use them because we know the Americans are too afraid to do anything about it. And so that's the, that's, that's the scary part, is that Putin, he has really reinvigorated the old Soviet uh, V.D. Sokolovsky's uh, doctrine of using preemptive nuclear warfare uh, as a strategic, as a way of winning against the Americans in the West. And so, uh, you know, I don't see anybody in America acknowledging that. And um, our leaders certainly don't act like that. And we certainly aren't going to use nukes first. And so this, and we shouldn't, um, but this is where it's headed, is it's getting to a very dark place. And, and Putin's not going to give up in Ukraine anytime soon. People saying that he's going to get overthrown, not going to happen. The Siloviki are too afraid of him, and the oligarchs owe him everything. And so they're just going to flee the country rather than put a bullet in his head. And then you've got the Americans saying that, well, Ukrainians could hold out forever. Well, we'll see, because you know, while my heart is with Ukraine— you know, there's a limit to what we can do for them and should do for them. And the Russians are not going to stop pounding away there. Putin won't until he gets what he wants. He's going to flatten that country any way he can to stop the resistance. And so that's this is where we're headed.
0: Yeah, that's my that's my concern when people say, you know, there's a there's a beautiful resistance going on. Sure, I get it. It's very easy for me to say in a well, it was air conditioned until about an hour ago in an air conditioned department in Maryland in a leather chair wearing slippers. How things should and shouldn't be like I get that I understand that I've never gone hungry in my life I've gone to private Catholic schools. I've, I've known nothing but opportunity in my life. So uh, Yeah, it's, it's very simple for me to say, you know, what should and shouldn't happen in Ukraine, but I look at something like Everyone it's a beautiful resistance I'm like if you know Anything about the Russian military, though a fraction of the United States, even just something like a Tu-160 supersonic stealth bomber, which is their uh, which is their or their parallel to our uh, B-1B Lancer. Then if they wanted to go, if, or the uh, yeah, Tu-160, or then the, it the Tu-144, their B-52. Yeah, blackjack bombers yeah, well. yeah, yeah. If, yeah if they wanted to go in, if they wanted to go in, they have their own B-52s, they have their own B-1Bs. If they wanted to go in and level that, even with conventional weapons, I mean, we right. talk about the Moab, right, and Trump used it. There's actually, it, the, the, well, the Russians actually superseded that in 2008 with their fuel air right. bomb. They called it the FOAB, right. the father. They have a larger one than that that is technically right. non-nuclear, non-chemical. It's if they want to, and they do, they will dial it up. It's like saying the Taliban's putting up a a ferocious resistance to the United States. They sure did, and they did for twenty years. No one in a million years ever thought that if America really wanted to, we couldn't. We could. uh, We could have turned the country into a a glass square on September twelfth.
1: And that's the whole thing. Is when Trump used the, the Moab. You know, the, the Taliban took notice. They started freaking out. I mean, yeah, that, the, the resistance in Afghanistan uh, started freaking out. And in fact, you notice the, the tempo kind of dropped down in the resistance quotient when he started. You know, th- I mean, remember at one point Trump did threaten to use nukes. Trump threatened to use nukes, to to use nukes in Joe Europe. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the Big Up Morning <laughs> Joe threw a, a fit over that. But but that sort of. Put the Taliban in a negotiating mood, because they started thinking this guy might be crazy enough to do that. And Putin certainly is crazy enough. Um look at what he did in Grozny, right? In 2 in the 2000 1999 2000 he went to war with Chechnya. And the, the Chechens fought gallantly. They were vicious. I mean they were they were they were not a good group of people either. But he Putin uh you know everybody says that well he lost that, you know, militarily. Well, the, the Chechens resisted to the point that the Russian military couldn't affect the kind of victory that Putin wanted on the battlefield. But the Russians were able to level the capital, Grozny. They were able to inflict so much bloodletting that it forced the Chechens to come to the negotiating table. And guess what? Putin got his political victory that he ultimately wanted. And war is an extension of politics through other means. And today, Chechnya is now ruled by, uh, what is it, Katarov, who is a Putin lackey. Uh, and and Chechnya has been brought to heel over the last 20 years, maybe not exactly as Putin planned, but the effect is the same. Same thing in Syria, right? We see how the Russians have behaved in Syria. They have leveled everything in their path on behalf of their their asset, Bashar al-Assad, and they haven't stopped. They're still doing it today. They're now working with Iran to to effect an even greater leveling of the, the resistance there. Look at those two instances and apply them, Uh, to the Ukraine, or or apply also what what Putin did in 2008 in Georgia, did the same thing. So we see these patterns of Russian military display. Um, They may not have the the best-looking military. They may not have the same kind of sweet precision-guided systems uh, that the Americans have, but the Russians have a good enough approach. You know, in my book, I talk about the the just the sheer brutality of Russian way of war. It's traditionally, historically, it is not precise. It is slow. It is plotting. It is bloody. It is ne- unnecessarily bloody. But at the end of the day, it's good enough to affect the kind of victory that the Russians, you know, want over their enemies. We talk about Finland in 1939. We talk about the great resistance the Finns put up, and they did. But ultimately, despite their resistance. Over time, the Soviet Union was able to basically neutralize Finland as a potential NATO member, made Finland a neutral power, and basically ran their foreign policy uh, for them uh, under the threat that if the the Finns ever stepped out of line, the the big Soviet army would come in and crush them again. Um, And so even when the, the, the Russians kind of lose militarily, they're so big, And they're so overwhelming and they're so threatening uh, that ultimately the countries they're attacking have no choice but to, on some level, adhere to the will of Moscow. And that is what Putin really wants. And so you're going to see this thing's not going to end anytime soon. Uh, Putin will do negotiations. He'll keep that track open. But ultimately, he's not going to go and agree to anything until he bleeds Ukraine. He wants to destroy the military that is Western-backed and trained. And then he wants to try to effect, if not a total regime change in Kyiv, he wants to basically uh, castrate the regime there so much so that it can't control most of the country, which is what's going to happen, I think.
0: Yeah, and um, they're almost. it almost does – there's something so odd about how we are acting in a way that is not in the same i guess (laughs) mindset of the cold war i mean it's like every idiot out there saying well what if we just strike them first and it's like dude what do you what do you think the entire cold war was what do you think every (laughs) the entire the reality it was i mean right you know what a fascinating game the what a curious game the only way to win is not to play we figured it out listen if curtis lemay didn't figure couldn't do it if abramson couldn't do it Right. Hey, there's no, just strike first. Yeah, we reached that conclusion in 49.
1: That doesn't yeah. work. And, there you know, I have a former colleague on the Hill who's very, you know, very influential on the Republican side who's been writing for the last six weeks on Twitter about how we just need to create a no-fly zone. Just do it. And you know what? If the Russians dare, dare to challenge us, we'll shoot down their warplanes. And I'm like, dude, do you not know the, where this leads? Like this The
0: embargo. The embargo around Cuba. Right.
1: Right. Like, what? Huh? Right. Well, and the difference is, unlike the, unlike the, uh, the blockade we did, uh, on yeah, no and block, zone, yeah, block the warplanes are going to have to shoot down Russian warplanes. Luckily, we didn't have to shoot or sink any Soviet ships. Um, but the, the Russian warplane issue, if they come into the no-fly zone, we're obligated at that point to shoot them down. Yeah. You know, and it won't be Ukrainians flying jets shooting them down. It'll be Americans. It'll be F-22s, you know, yeah. And, like, that's, that's not only involving NATO now directly, That's now. You think Putin's going to drop that? You think he's going to be like, okay, it's it's like bygones. No, he's going to escalate. Then I keep telling people, like, look, this is partly a revenge play for Putin. A hundred percent. You know, and so when you are dealing with that kind of guy, um, if you bring your big pieces, you know, your big guns to the to the fight. That's almost like challenging him, saying, you know, he can't back down then. So you bring your, your warplanes, the Americans do, and we, we put our people directly on the ground in harm's way. Yeah, it might protect the Ukrainians a little bit, but ultimately that means that, that Putin's never going to stop. That means now he's got to escalate. He's got to now go after NATO directly. And if it leads to a nuclear war, then so be it. There's a reason that Putin moved his family to Siberia in the last two weeks, right? He's moved his wife and his daughters and his, his kids into a nuclear bunker in Siberia. There's a reason that the oligarchs are fleeing on masse on their private jets to Dubai and the seas- and the Seashell Islands. It's not just because they're worried that Putin might turn on them. I think it's because they know he's thinking about going nuclear and Russia's a target to the American, you know, counterstrike. And I think that's that. Th- so these people in D.C. who are talking about no fly zones, I'm like, you guys do not get what's going on here. This is this is the end if you do that. This it- is a disaster. Then the Ukrainians are definitely going to be wiped out
0: yeah and it's i mean there there is no coming back from from this i mean they're truly and it sounds like some gatekeeping bs but i mean no one that is even remotely uh, putting forward to the idea of a fly zone truly has any understanding of what thermonuclear exchange is first of all right. first of all right. look up any look up any atomic test now look up right. any hydrogen bomb test. What's the difference? Right. One of them's in the ocean. Why? Because you can't do it on land. Notice how right. notice how you see one out in New Mexico. You see the mountains around it. You see one in the middle of the ocean. You see the clouds right. below it. First of all, they're thermonuclear. Right. Second of all, you can put 10 of them on a missile and launch it 30 minutes anywhere in the world. Right. The radiation, the thermal pulse, the nuclear winter, there will be, there's nothing, there's going to be no 9-11 where the next day all the dump trucks come in and we start doing a heroic put back together. Every piece of electronics will be fried. Everyone will be dying of radiation poisoning. There will be fires across the world that make Sodom and Gomorrah look like a slap on the wrist. There is no coming back.
1: And we also have to look at also Vladimir Putin knows this. And yeah, Vladimir Putin, there was, in the 1980s, and I quote this in the book, in the 1980s, there was an exchange between <laughs> one of our representatives and the uh, a Soviet general, and I think it was Malakovsky. and uh, Derek Labert, who's now a writer, he was representing the Reagan team, and they met before one of the presidential meetings, and Labert asked him, he said, you guys really think that you can win a nuclear war? And the general, he goes, of course we have a war-winning strategy for nuclear war. What do you think? We have a war-losing strategy? And so, uh, you know, it shows you the the, the Russian mentality on nukes. Um, So in that vein, for the last 10 years, one thing we've looked at is the way the Russians have reorganized their space forces and the way that they've used their cyber war. Um, in the last year, you remember the um, was it the uh, the winds hack mm-hmm. um, in December 2020? I wrote about this at the um, at the Washington Times. Uh, they were targeting the Nuclear uh, Safety Administration, the National Nuclear Safety Administration. The Russians were in these hacks. Well, part of the National Nuclear Safety Administration also manages uh, our nuclear weapons safety. They were targeting the Russians were our satellites in space trying to figure out how to, to target our nuclear command, control, and communication satellites. Now, why would they be doing that? Well, because the Russians know if they initiate a nuclear war against us, we're going to re- re- retaliate with nukes. It'll be back and forth until there's nothing left. But what happens if Russia can degrade our ability to conduct an effective counterstrike? By getting rid of our nuclear command and control and communication satellites, what happens if they can get in and cyber attack those electronic codes that manage our nuclear launch uh, protocols? What if they can disrupt the linkages between the president and uh, you know the national command authority and the people who have to launch, where the, the people who have to launch can't receive the order to launch? this is something the russians are looking at so they debilitate us in space they debilitate us in cyber then they hit us with a limited nuclear strike and then our second strike capability is significantly reduced right and we saw this in the cold war where the russians were experimenting with what was known as the galosh anti ballistic missile system now this was a rudimentary uh you know nuclear defense system that they put around they put around moscow And as the Soviets said after the fact, well, we knew that it couldn't protect all of Russia, but it could protect the core government of the Soviet Union so that we could continue fighting the Americans in a nuclear war. And the Americans never reciprocated. We never built similar anti-ballistic missile system and and put them around Washington and some of our facilities, because we just thought nuclear war is unwinnable. It's apocalyptic. We're not going to worry about it. But now we're in a condition where, in a position where, the Ukrainian crisis could very easily lead to the kind of nuclear war that Soviet war planners were thinking about 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and the Americans still aren't really engaged in that. And yet we're pushing this Russians. We're constantly provoking them. And we just think that, well, they know implicitly we that we don't go to the nuclear, nuclear strike option. I don't think Putin knows that. And I don't think he much cares. And again, this is This is about revenge. And when you have a guy like that, he will do whatever it takes to make his point. And that's what this is about. It's about sending a message.
0: Yeah, it's sending a message that we're all going to go to hell in a handbasket. So I I do this every episode. Uh, I'm going to use the restroom and you're going to monologue. You're going to tell people where to find your book and where to find you on social media. And I'll be back in a minute.
1: Okay. Thank you, my man. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, well, you can find my book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, pretty much on any online bookstore. Uh, you can find it in your local bookstores as well. Uh, I highly recommend support your local bookstores, especially in the aftermath of COVID. I'm a big proponent of the local small bookstore chain. Uh, but if you can't get to that, you know, definitely go on Amazon, can go on barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com, target.com. Uh, and uh, you can find the book. You can also find some of my own interviews. Uh, you can go to my website, www.weichertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T report.com. I write frequently for the Washington Times. I'm a contributing editor at American Greatness, uh, contributor for the Asia Times, recently been a made a contributor to the Sunday Guardian, uh, which is an Indian publication, and I write pretty much on Indian geopolitics and how they affect... Uh, the United States, Uh, and uh, my next book is The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, which will be coming out in fall, and it sort of builds off of a chapter on Iran's space threat that's found in winning space, and uh, it will will definitely highlight some of the technology that Iran is using to undermine the world system, and that also could lead to a, a flashpoint for the First World War. If you read Winning Space, you will find one key theme, which is that the United States for 30 years has had uh, critical advantages over its potential rivals, particularly in space and overall in high tech. And unfortunately, uh, we have let those those advantages completely collapse uh, because of indifference about space in the high tech sector. And the United States is now facing a, a, a situation where Uh, China and Russia particularly, but also rogue states like Iran and North Korea, think that they can challenge the Americans in the strategic high ground of space, particularly China, but also Russia probably can effectively uh, challenge the Americans. And if they are able to effectively successfully challenge the Americans in space, they will beat the Americans first in a space war, which will then lead to the defeat of the United States and the lower strategic domains, land, sea, air, air. Cyber, and that is that is what my book is about. Trying to uh, tell you and the Washington policymakers how to avoid a space Pearl Harbor, so that we don't have to fight a space war that we could potentially lose.
0: I appreciate you monologuing. Uh it's it's kind of turned into a social experiment where it's like sink or swim. Some people just freeze up and stare at the camera. Other people plug and they just take it and you 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 did it like a champ. If I can still hear you walking back in, I'm like, my man. So uh yeah, I just I also had to just text the maintenance guy, air conditioning, and it's that's yeah. my again, my one man show. I'm doing everything. <laughs> but um Yeah, so I'm trying to look at it like I try to look at these things as logically as I can, right? I have my own political biases, so it's very it's very simple to fall into like a, oh they're stupid what are they doing but when you get to the higher up levels whether you're a demon or not you know whether you're heading up Nazi Germany or heading up present day United States the reality is is when you're at that top level you're not stupid you might you might be malicious you're not stupid sure there's hubris so but the point of me saying all that is It'd be be like if I was if I was practicing to be a quarterback or something and there's like a known way of how you avoid injuries and how you I mean, I I can't even throw a ball, but like it'd be like if there's like an orthodox way to do things. Right. And then like it'd be like if one of the no nos was, I don't know, stretching your arm over your head. I'm just making this up as I go. And then one day I see Tom Brady doing that. And everyone's like, look at this idiot. And I'd go, yeah, although conventional wisdom says that guy's an idiot, man, he's been in the Super Bowl, what, 10 times? Part of me would go, what, what's going on here? He's not stupid. Right. So, right. so when I see everything going on right now, as much as I'd love to just say Biden's an idiot, I don't think he's mentally competent, but I also don't think he's really in control. Right. I, I, so when I see them pushing for nuclear war, if my first reaction is what, in it, what they're idiots, I then have to exercise my own humility and go, what could be the rationalization behind it? it's suicide. So what could be the rationalization? And maybe this would lead it to next week's episodes. We'll have to put it aside, but right. do we have an effective SDI? Is that something right. that we have? It's been what? 35 years since it right. was proposed. Is it up and running? Is this thing, right. has this thing been purring since right. 2010? Who knows? It's-
1: Yeah. So on the one hand, because I used to work in government, I worked in government for a while, Um, a lot of a lot of I wouldn't say they're stupid, but they are um, they they have an ideological commitment to certain ideas. A lot of the people around Biden are utopian thinkers and they really just assume that because it's never happened, nuclear war won't happen because all the players understand that it will end in total destruction. And I keep telling everybody that a lot of the the autocrats we're faced against, a lot of them don't think this way. Um, They think that it's winnable and maybe maybe they've figured out a way to make it winnable. If it's just a limited thing, maybe it just kills a lot of people and does a lot of damage, but maybe they can come out on top. Um, and that's probably how they're thinking. But our side is being run by a, a group of people who really are uh, neoliberal ideologues, who really, I think, have a utopian bent. And they just think that, well, everybody understands we can push, but we're not going to go that far. But and we might not go that far. I don't think we would initiate willingly a nuclear war. I think we would respond to one. Um, but I, And I don't think they view what's going on with Ukraine as nuclear war. I don't think they recognize how close we are because they don't get it um, because that's their ideology and they're sort of insulated and they just they don't it's not that they're dumb. They just they don't process what's going on over there the way the way the Russians do, the way Putin does. They don't see the world the way Putin does. And when you really start, when you know, and my background is, I know a lot about Russian history. I know a lot about how Russian leaders going back to Ivan the Terrible view their security situation. And it is not the way that Americans do. And um, they are a country that for a thousand years since the Mongol invasion have been obsessed with their consistent territorial insecurity and convinced of their cultural superiority. And so when you're dealing with a group of people like that, it's you're not going to get the same kind of inputs you would from dealing with Britain or Canada. It's different. And um, so it's not that they're dumb on our side, but it's just I don't think they fully understand. In terms of strategic defense, I, the reason I wrote the book is because as my experience is, we've had all the tools and all the pieces we need to do this. This is why Reagan was pushing for it in the 80s but we haven't had the national will and we haven't had the political leadership to do it. Remember, the Republicans were as you know opposed or skeptical, at least, of strategic defense as the Democrats were in the 1980s. Um, today, we have the technology where I think we could do this, and I say this in the book, we could probably do this in about 18 months, some rudimentary system and build off from there. But again, it's funding, it's political will, it's political leadership. We're not there. Um, And my concern is that we're not going to get there until after the fact, right? Until after a nuclear strike happens. And then everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, we should have done this. Um, But that's too late at that point. And so this is why I wrote the book. I was trying to, and we, I do know that former General John Hyten of the Air Force, who was a part of the Joint Chiefs of Staff until like four or five months ago, he retired. um, He was a big proponent of space power. And in 2019, he wanted to demonstrate in orbit a um, space weapon that was classified. And he wanted to do it in a public way to send a message to the Russians and Chinese to say, hey, back off. And former President Trump, who was normally very um, supportive of Hayton and the Space Force, uh, said, no, it's too provocative. If we do that, we'll basically, we'll we'll trigger a huge arms race with the Russians and the Chinese. So we backed off that. Then again, in the first year of the Biden administration, Hayton said, look, the Russians are getting very aggressive in space. We should probably test detonate one of these weapons that we've developed that's in orbit, uh, that's been lying dormant. And the Biden administration said, "No, we want to do a deal with Russia. We're going to try to work with them." No way. Uh, I have. I'm going to Washington this week. I am going. One of the things I'm going to tell the military is that I think they should be demonstrating whatever this weapon system was in the next week or two. Mm. And it needs to happen because Putin needs to get the message that we've got things he doesn't know about. Do I think it's SDI? No, I don't think we have a working SDI. I think what we have are some orbital anti-satellite weapons um, that, you know, are good, but are they going to protect the homeland from a nuclear or a hypersonic weapons strike? No, they will not. And uh, that's the concern here. And we look at hypersonic weapons, which are actually, in some cases, even scarier. Yeah, more destabilizing. Yeah, because they're non-nuclear, and yet they have you know, the same kind of effect uh, in terms of the strategic implications of of a nuclear weapon. Um, You know, Putin just apparently in the last 48 hours used a hypersonic weapon in in, uh, Ukraine. He's apparently moving more of these systems uh, into Ukraine as a signal that he's going to use them on the supply convoys coming in from Poland for for weapons, NATO weapons going to Ukraine. Um, So this is now a major issue because we have no active defense Against hypersonic weapons, whether they be the cruise missile variant or they be the big sort of the kind of systems that can hit the mainland United States or Europe. Uh, We don't have a defense against them. We don't have our own hypersonic systems. We have been unable to build them. DARPA has been trying and they can't get it quite right. Um, Both China and Russia have these systems and have deployed them actively. North Korea in January tested a rudimentary hypersonic system uh, that caused so much fear in the United States that we had to shut down air traffic on the entire West Coast for about 15 minutes while that test was going on. We don't have defenses against these systems. We don't have our own, which is, as you said, highly destabilizing. So set aside nuclear weapons right now. Look at hypersonics. We don't have our own system to defend against it. And the Russians know it. And so even if the Russians choose to hold the nuclear genie in its bottle, they now have systems, and they're testing them actively right now in Ukraine, that can completely decimate um, American and NATO uh, forces, and certainly Ukrainian forces, without much of a reprisal on our end, this is a problem, and this will lead to greater escalation, unconventional escalation, by the Russians against the Americans, and this is another avenue to getting to that very significant, fearful world war that we don't want to have to live through, but we very mo- may very well may have to. Do
0: you believe we don't? I mean, because I know that we quote unquote don't have hypersonic weapons i just i don't fully believe that and that's not that's not a shot at you just in general because i've you know I've, I've read it a million times and i just think of yeah. like i'm like i don't i mean just from my own experiences right i mean i was a senior in high school and remember reading during lunch about was it the htv falcon 2 that reached like mach right. 19 or something like right. going over the pacific and we did it twice right. that, that was 13 years ago right. I, I don't I don't entirely believe we, that we don't have hypersonic we, weapons.
1: We have fallen so far behind okay. our rivals in high-tech R&D um, that we are having significant problems building what should be easy for us to build. Okay, And put it this way, last summer um, I was asked to go out to the Air Force and they wanted to know everything that I knew about hypersonic weapons of China and Russia, they were looking for outside, you know, uh, outside advice, outside the chain of command, and um, they were very worried about, as they told me, things they were seeing in American airspace that do not belong to us, and the concern was that these were Chinese and Russian experimental hypersonic systems. And so I told them what I knew based on my open source research. Um, and they're very concerned. And so I think that we do certainly have the scientific capability to research and develop these weapons. But again, just like SDI, we haven't put the time and effort into building them. And now we have fallen so far behind in the application phase that we've got to play catch up and there's naturally going to be some, you know, stumbling blocks along the way. But now we're in, we're so far behind the enemy that the stumbling blocks could be truly decisive in making us lose the hypersonic race to either China or Russia. I mean, China literally tested a system yeah. and launched it into orbit. It circled the earth for 45 minutes and then came down within 20 miles of its intended target in the Gobi desert. Um, that's huge. We do not have working systems like that in the real world. We have hypothetical systems. We have, you know, the, the R&D. We have the, the R&D side we're doing. We don't have the application phase yet. So China's ahead of us in that way. China has the, 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 fa- the largest, most sophisticated um, hypersonic testing facility. It's, the, uh, it's, it's in Beijing. It can get uh, vehicles up to Mach 30, test a vehicle up to Mach 30. We have the Lens 2 facility, the U.S. Navy has that. It does less than that. It's nowhere near sophisticated. It's, it's very old, um, and it can't test as large of equipment as the new Beijing facility. I think it's called the J-22 facility in Beijing. Um, and so we, we, are, we are, I think, qualitatively and quantitatively falling behind, particularly China, but then there's Russia as well, which has the SIRCON missile, hypersonic missile that they're actively using now in war. Um, and so, you know, in my opinion, I do think we've probably fallen behind. And it's precisely because we took our Cold War victory for granted. At the same time, our elites were trying to start crap with Russia. And if you're going to do that, you better have your arsenal ready to go, because when you start, you know, poking the bear or you know trying to challenge the dragon they're not just going to take it lying down yeah particularly today
0: do you think that's why rush is being so uh what word am i looking for belligerent maybe maybe it's the maybe it's the opposite of what i said do we have something functional that could shoot down their nukes do they have intelligence that there's nothing we can do
1: i i personally think that's probably more what's going on jesus um I will tell you my – so my colleague, my friend, and my editor at Asia Times, David Goldman, wrote a piece, I want to say either in the American Conservative or Law and Liberty, one of those two. I'll post it on Twitter today, and you, that way you can you can tweet it, um, where basically he contacted me before he wrote the story. We talked about what I knew. Um, basically, the concern is that NATO can no longer um, – field the kind of weapons, long range, that could keep Russia back from going into Europe. And the reason we were trying to expand NATO is because we were trying to keep our systems closer to Russia to keep them in range. And it's because our weapons systems are are losing their technological edge. We're not innovating the way we used to. I talk about this in my book. I, I, I go after the defense industry as being too sclerotic. I give a lot of props to SpaceX and these small startup firms because they're far more innovative. They use less money and they're far more innovative because they have to be. And yet our big defense contractors keep getting rewarded, the big contracts, and then they never develop or deliver what they say they're going to in a way that's useful to us strategically. The F-35, you know, everybody loves this plane now, but it, it's about 15 years behind the schedule. It is no longer, in my opinion, applicable to the current strategic environment we're facing. The F-35 is a is a great plane for bombing terrorists. It's a great plane for going after, you know, Serbian nationalists in the Balkans. It's not a great air-to-air fighter. What we needed was the F-22. And we discontinued that 12 years ago, 10 years ago, and we now no longer have the capability to surge production on that plane. So that means the F-22 Raptors that we have that really can affect positive outcomes against Chinese and Russian warplanes, we don't have enough of them. And we can't build any more of them. The F-35 is what we went with, but it's a boondoggle. You know, it was a trillion dollar boondoggle. It's 15 years too late. It's really not applicable anymore to the strategic environment we're facing. Um, and probably the Chinese stole the plans at the beginning for that with the Titan rain hack back in 05, where they stole a bunch of classified data on a supposedly secure, closed Pentagon server. And I suspect they got a hold of the F-35 designs and they probably figured out, sort of like the Rebels in Star Wars when they got the Death Star, you know, design, they figured out the one little weakness and they were able to exploit it in the original Star Wars. I figure that probably is something the Chinese were able to do decades ago, is figure out the weak points in the design of the F-35, and they've probably figured out ways to destroy those planes and render them combat ineffective. And so I am looking at this very pessimistically saying, we've really squandered time and money, uh, not building the systems we need and not doing it in a way that's financially responsible. And here we are today with a very weak military facing two very nasty enemies Uh, who are looking to use their strengths against our weaknesses, which is what you're supposed to do when you're the underdog. It's what we've forgotten, though. We've forgotten all these things. And and, and I think that's now creating an imbalance, and I think that's now why you're seeing the challenges to us. And I think also, particularly Putin, but Xi also, of China, and the Iranian leadership, they think that Biden is weak, and I think they know that he's not in charge, and I think they know that his advisors are not anywhere near competent enough to stand up to them or willing enough to stand up to them. Uh, And I think that's why you're going to see America for the next four years, or God forbid, if it gets another term, uh, getting pushed around. And it's going to be bad. And when we come out of this time period, going into the 2030s, I don't think we're going to recognize the world. Really? Yeah. Look, if 2024 goes differently, um, maybe we can change it. The upside of America's system, we're short-sighted. But the upside of having two and four year election cycles is that we can
0: turn on quickly.
1: But I look at the way, we, why did people vote the way they did in 2020? It was because they were afraid, right? Trump to them seemed unstable. Uh, they didn't like how his COVID response was. They didn't feel safe with all the race riots. And for whatever reason, they blamed him. Um, and they thought the mean tweets were just too much in that situation. So they went with a guy um, who. A, is a geriatric, a
0: geriatric pedophile.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say he's not competent. Um,
0: Those are my words, not yours for the record. Not, my I words, not yours. Not
1: competent, and I would say he's surrounded himself by a team of advisors that a, both the Russian and Chinese and Iranian uh, intelligence services know who they are. They know how they think they, they are predictable. And what we need now is not predictability. What we need is unpredictability. You need a madman. When, when you're weak, you've got to be stronger in the sense of being, you've got to have so much fear you instill in the other side that they don't want to bring their strength against you because they think this guy might be crazy. you know. And with Trump, the one thing, you're in a bar brawl, the other side just broke a bottle and they're coming at you. Well, Trump, he's going to pull out a gun.
0: Trump, He's going to pull out a knife. He's going to pull out a gun or he might have C4 strapped to his chest. Right, right. For yeah. better or worse. Right,
1: you it know the is, Joker walking into that that monster uh, meeting.
0: And yeah, how serious are you? Voting. That's not blow this out of right. proportion. That's yeah,
1: Trump, and that's what you have to have when you are weaker. And unfortunately, in my opinion, America's weaker right
0: now. So let's let's logically deduce this, deduce this then. If these if the conditions we're in right now are suitable to China and Russia. And this is where my logic comes in. And I know a lot of people don't like it. And it's 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 either you don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole or it's just conspiracy. But I'm just looking at it again as a tactical rational. If we're looking at the level of nation states battling for global hegemony, which is the apex of power from the Great great Pyramids till now, why wouldn't you subvert an election if you thought Trump was an existential threat to you? What the reason why I don't think it's so out of a. the reason why I don't like say it's an impossibility that 2020 was stolen was because the United States has been doing that to nations around the world since 1947.
1: Well, the whole thing is, it didn't have to be stolen.
0: No, it didn't. No, it didn't. I'm just looking at it as my it own, as my own watching oh, it. I've yeah,
1: heard that before. But just let's just think about it this way: um, <laughs> Donald Trump gets elected, and one of the first things he does is he calls the Taiwanese president, and Bob Dole told him to do it. Bob Dole said, "You, you got to call my friend Tsai Win. and Trump did this, and the Chinese went ape over this. Yeah. You're not supposed to do this. Then the Hong Kong protests happened, mm-hmm. and Trump made it clear he wasn't going to do anything to support them. But he did, and his administration did give vocal support to that movement in Hong Kong, which was enough to send Xi into you know, being apoplectic. And then Trump decides to go after China's food. Trump launches the trade war, right? He goes after the soybean production. He goes after, and, and this for Trump is all about getting a better deal because that's how Trump it's thinks. It's just, yeah. But The Chinese don't look at it that way because the Chinese for 30 years have been waging economic war on the Americans. And so Xi peeks up and he goes... Historically, Chinese regimes have been, the dynasties, have been overthrown because people started starving. China's always had problems feeding their people, and that has led to political instability. And you have the Hong Kong protests going on. You've got America speaking nice about Taiwan. You've got this lunatic in the White House who's now putting tariffs on on food coming out of the United States, going into China, food that China needs. For Xi Jinping and his Communist Party, he's thinking the Americans are going to war with I can't have this guy get four more years and he's going to get in 2019. You know, in my my book, I sent the manuscript in December 2019. Um, In the book, it's very clear that I assumed Trump was going to win. It's because everybody knew Trump. I remember talking to a buddy of mine working on the Biden campaign, who after Iowa was just, he called me up raging about i can't believe you people did this to the country and i said what do you mean he goes well obviously trump's gonna win this thing he goes you guys you you racist and i was i was laughing i went to college with this guy i go okay and so everybody assumed trump's gonna win hands down until one thing happens the wuhan virus yeah right yeah that leaks out supposedly naturally yeah. Well, even if it was naturally, which I don't believe it was. So I'm, you know, you've got a medical background. My wife worked at NIH for doctors Fauci and Collins. When when this thing leaked, when this thing got out, the first thing she, we were talking about, she goes, "This reminds me of a gain of function test we were doing."
0: Ah. Oh, you know? yeah. So. It,
1: um, yeah. You know, and remember, Collins <laughs> shut down the gain of functions test at University of North Carolina uh, because he was worried in 2015 of what happens if it leaches out of the lab. Yeah. Uh oh. And what did University of North Carolina supposedly, supposedly do? They partnered with uh, Wuhan Virology Institute. Mm-hmm. This is all supposed. I have no proof beyond what was said. Um, but uh, you know, it's very interesting to me that this thing happens, and that ends Trump's re-election. Essentially, yeah. the moment COVID leaches out, that's it. Yeah, And then the race riots start. And then that's the end of Trump. That's it. There's no way Trump's coming back from this. So they didn't even need to rig the ballot camp, sure. which is what some people say happened. I have no idea. All the Chinese needed to do is this virus gets out at an opportunistic time, yeah. and they don't tell the world for as long as possible. And from there on, Trump's done. Yeah, And they get a guy, Biden, who maybe he's not a Chinese asset. But he's definitely predictable and he's definitely, um, you know, he's no, he's a known commodity. To these yeah. guys. He's been in office for 40 years. You know, he's interacted with them as a senator and then as the vice president. So they, these guys know him. And what's more, particularly when Putin met him last April, I'm dealing with a family member right now who has Alzheimer's, who's declining. When you know the person before they had Alzheimer's and after. Yeah. And after you can just, without being a medical professional, you, you just tell the decline. Yeah, you see the decline.
0: I watched, yeah, I watched it happen to my grandma over several years right. up and until so, her death. Yeah,
1: right. And so Putin meets uh, Biden last April, and you see the way he's sitting with his legs open, and and you look at his butt. He's very dismissive because he knows he's dealing with a man who's not there anymore. Yeah, and. That's what we got after Trump. And now the dictators of the world, this is their window of opportunity. They don't know if they're going to only get four years out of this. Mm. So they're going to go for broke because they have to. You have to. So with China and Russia, they've got their own problems that are coming to the fore over the next decade. I mentioned Russia with their population and fertility rate. By the end of this decade, they won't have enough people to man the army. They won't have enough. So they've got to go for broke now. China's, you know, they may get old before they get rich. You know, they've got issues. So they've got that that hit in the 2030s statistically. So they've got to change the dynamic now. Yeah. And this is the window of opportunity.
0: So everything we're talking about Trump is, you know, although I I voted for him in 2020, I I need a I really need to emphasize that this isn't some and I'm not saying that this is what you said, but for me this isn't some like I can't believe he lost. I get it. I mean, I, hey, I'm from New England. No, it makes right? perfect sense that he lost. You know, no, no, sure, sure, sure. No, I mean, like, I'm I'm from New I'm from New England. You know, and I watched the Patriots lose against the Giants when they were undefeated. It's like I I get that. Like, you can go into things reading your own press reports. It's not that. It's not that. For the same reason, people believe there was no way Hillary could lose. It's not right. that. It's what I saw with my own eyes and ears seeing the election in the five swing states pause at 4 a.m. I have all the screenshots on my phone watching it and watching it turn. And immediately as I start doing podcasts the next day, I start getting YouTube labels about misinformation and suspensions. Right. The entire thing was so coordinated that even if I wasn't for Trump, I'd still be saying something's going on. That's what it is for me. It's not that he lost. I know enough people that hate him. It, that's not a, that's not, to me, I completely get where he could lose. I don't, that's not, I don't have my head in the sand. It's what I watched with my own eyes and ears that said, this isn't kosher. Regardless, he's not in and we have who we have. So right. In it, it, although it does matter in a sense, it doesn't matter because where are we now? What can we do now? So I do look at all of that, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it seems to be a, a, that's a terrifying prospect is, is, is that we don't have something up our sleeve that we don't, you know, back to what you said earlier, and I want to comment on that. You talked about uh things in our airspace that aren't, aren't ours. And that's normally the the, the terminology that they use and you know, like you know, blue book and stuff about like UFO incursions, which I love. But I didn't know that they're talking about hypersonic incursions as craft, not missiles. I'm very aware of yeah, the the I don't I forget the Russian name. I know the Chinese have the Dongfang and um the carrier killer, yeah. Yeah. But you you said there's actual hypersonic craft. That's what the Air Force official well, said. Well,
1: that's so. I mean,
0: versus a they, missile. Because if if there's a they, missile in our airspace, I think wouldn't that be like global news?
1: They they are concerned about. Um, they are they are concerned about incursions into the airspace from uh, coming across from the Pacific. Got it. Uh, that that doesn't just mean hypersonic. That also means, by the way, North Korean tests. That means, you know, and the the issue that they were talking about specifically was, you know, how do we defend? We can defend against. We can defend against most, at least on paper. We have an air defense system that is capable of defending against the known kind of attacks, or that can at least knock some of them out. Um, it's the new technology that's concerning for them. The hypersonic, in particular, but other things as well. Um, you know, and for instance, they were telling me about you know the last several years, increasingly Russian bear bombers and mm-hmm. blackjack nuclear bombers have been coming into Alaskan airspace, not leaving. You know, you know, harassing. You know. So how do they, like, what, what are some things that they should be thinking about? Because obviously if they shoot it down, it's going to be a big issue. So, you know, what are some, that, that was sort of what they were getting at as well. But, but specifically, we focused a lot of, a lot of talk on hypersonic. And what I took away from that was their concern. And the reason their concern is, and this is what we talked about, is that, you know, the Chinese and Russians have actual real world systems and we don't. The Chinese and Russians can deploy these things and we can't. There is no active ability, like like one of them said, you know, we see things, what, what happens when we see things coming in and our air defense system doesn't recognize them, doesn't doesn't come online to, to attack, can't track them because they're too fast. They're there one second, they're gone. They're over their target now. Um, you know, we, what do we do? We just take the hit, right? Then we're going to have to take the hit. And then what does that do? And then what happens when the second and third strike options come in? And then what do we do? Do we respond with nukes? Is that going is that what we should be doing? I mean, I, you know what? So they wanted to sort of play out, you know, some things that could be done. And basically, the only thing that can be done to counter a hypersonic attack is you have to have sensors put into space that can track these fast moving things, and then you have to have systems in orbit that can knock these hypersonic weapons. Out as they come into space, because once they're in the atmosphere, they're over their target and they've reached their max speed. So it's going to be very hard, next to impossible, to knock those things out once they're over continental United States. Yeah. And so we've got to have space systems for that. You've got to have investment for that. So what I take away from my visit with those Air Force guys was that they're seeing stuff. And they don't have systems they feel that can adequately defend against those systems, those attacks. And that's a big problem, especially when you think about the West Coast. And you think about the F-35 production facility on the West Coast. The Chinese know where that is. I've been to it. It's pretty well known where that is. Um, They could launch a conceivably a hypersonic strike that could knock out our ability to rebuild and repair. We don't have a logistical supply chain anymore like we used to in World War II. We don't have the manufacturing capability that we used to in World War II. The kind of weapon systems we rely on are expensive and precision and takes a while to replace. So what happens if they knock out our ability to repair or rebuild uh, the F-35, which is now our main fighter, and then they shoot our F-35s out in combat and we can't replace those systems?
0: Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah.
1: Think about—I don't know if you're familiar—but one of my favorite shows back in the day was the um, the reimagined *Battlestar Galactica*. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So, I highly recommend it for your audience. It 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 is um, basically what happens when a sophisticated military is cyber attacked, and EM attacked, and nuclear attacked by its uh, rival. Um, The only thing that can survive is old technology. Yeah, that's the whole show. Yeah, and how do you survive? Well, you're just surviving. You can't win. You're just surviving, and you're fleeing all the time. Yeah, and that's my concern of where we're headed.
0: Man, there's almost there's almost a beauty in mutual assured destruction, though.
1: Yeah. Right. The balance of terror. It, yeah. There
0: almost is that beauty. That's like all of these nifty hypersonic, you know, sort of weapon systems, almost Internet of Things type weapon right. systems versus like still so got these good old fashioned just like thermonuclear, you know, right. harbingers of death that you can just throw on. You can th- th- throw on an old analog bomber. It doesn't matter. There is something that I mean it's the terror on one hand is Putin going to use it, and then there's the beauty on the other hand of sure, take out the f thirty five we'll hit you with something that we built under the right. Truman administration,
1: yeah, and that gets back to Eisenhower right remember Eisenhower he said Truman's being a nut job, he's building all these armies, and he's he's fighting an old war we when I get elected, i'm going to cut those tactical and build nukes, massive retaliation, and yeah. let them come at us because we'll just annihilate them, yeah, and there's a beauty, beautiful simplicity to that. Um, you know, and it also makes you think, like, what does it say when people like Nikita Khrushchev might be more rational than Vladimir Putin? Yeah. What does it say when, like, you know, a playboy like JFK was much more attenuated <laughs> to saving the world than a guy like Joe Biden, who at least on paper— has decades of yeah. experience at the highest levels of foreign policy in this country, and he can't even be bothered to pick up the phone and call Vladimir Putin. Yeah, you know he has not been. If it were, if it were Kennedy, JFK was was constantly in constant contact with Moscow. Yeah, right. Every day of that crisis, he was commute or his people were. Yeah, he had his brother covertly Bobby. Conscious. Yeah, you know he had Bobby go to the uh, the Soviet embassy secretly and meet with. Uh, what was it, uh, the Anatoly, the, the ambassador, who was a personal friend of RFK. And they met not as officials, but they met in the dead of night. Bobby pulls up, according to the, the, the account of the story, the, the smokestack to the embassy is on fire because the, the Russians are burning all the documents, assuming we're going to be at war the next day. Bobby has a two-hour one-on-one secretly, without anybody knowing it, in the embassy with the Russian ambassador. And the two of them basically hash out a deal as a back channel between JFK and Nikita Khrushchev, and they, they avoid nuclear Armageddon. We don't have that going on. And by the way, forget about Russia. When the inevitable, and there was a Newsweek report, I wrote about this at my website last night, uh, apparently uh, a Russian analyst is leaking classified Russian documents to a human rights group uh, detailing Russian intel that Xi Jinping was planning to invade Taiwan this fall. And now he's called it off because of how slow going uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been. If that's true. And by the way, Bellingcat, the intelligence firm says that they believe the analyst is, is true, that this is something that was planned. They just don't agree with the conclusions. Um, But we know according to the experts so-called that this, this leaker is real and that the plans he's leaking are real for that. The Russians received Intel that China was planning to do this. Um, If that's the case, That is another nuclear standoff situation. And by the way, we have no connectivity with Beijing in a nuclear crisis. There's no red phone to pick up, right? We had that with the Soviets. We have that with Russia, at least today. Whether or not they're picking up is another thing. But the the Chinese are operating on a whole other world right now. They don't want to talk to us in a nuclear crisis, which is even scarier because they're not going to want to. That means that they are going to be wanting to hold escalation dominance much closer to their chest than even the Russians will in a crisis. And that's where the big miscalculations can happen. Uh, and so once we get through this Ukraine crisis, if we do, we're going to be dealing with Iran. And then after that, we're probably going to have to deal with the China-Taiwan crisis, which is going to be even scarier. And we got the wrong people in charge with the lacking the, the weapons technology that we used to have.
0: So, so well, I was going to say, yeah, Bobby meeting in the back channels. And uh, I think it's Dan Carlin again who talks about it. He, he has a, he has this, Bit on the cuban missile crisis apparently like one of the one of the things they did when they like sent a letter like a handwritten thing over to the russian embassy or soviet embassy they just like it had to be they couldn't do it in like official channels because they didn't know what was being bugged and whatnot so they just gave it to like a like a pay by the hour courier they said it was some like 20 year old guy came picked up on a bike and there's just like they gave it to him and i think the message i think they're, they're, they're they're like It was just a young dude. They're like, man, I hope he doesn't see like a hot chick along the way and strike up a conversation. This guy has no idea that he's carrying like, hey, we'll take the missiles out of Turkey. Like he has no idea.
1: How about this? One of the back channels they used in the beginning of the crisis was an ABC News reporter who happened to be neighbors with a guy who worked for the Soviet trade uh, commission in Washington who fought in world war II with Nikita Khrushchev and they knew the Kennedys knew this guy was a KGB agent in America. And they also knew that he directly secretly daily coordinated and talked to not just the Kremlin, but to Nikita Khrushchev because they were old war buddies. And so they initially used a back channel with this ABC reporter who was neighbors, with this guy in Washington, D.C. And if it wasn't for that connection, they probably would have never initially been able to even contact Nikita because they knew that Khrushchev was surrounded by hawks who wanted war in the same way that the generals in America wanted to go in and start war, uh, you know, over Cuba. And so... You know, these, we don't have those linkages today. And the way that the, the Americans are talking about the Russians and the way the Russians are behaving, I mean, we're already in, like, end-of-the-world scenario if we're not careful because we're not communicating the way we used to. And that's scary. Everybody's in their own silo.
0: Not that we know of.
1: Not that we know I mean, we, we do know there was some back-channeling going on. Um, but as far as we can tell, it hasn't ameliorated the situation. Putin's still doing what he's doing. And by the way, there is a slight chance if there was a lot of back channeling going on, that all of this has been planned and agreed to by Biden and Putin,
0: well,
1: you know, which is why the Americans w- aren't doing more.
0: Which is, again, why I look at it and I'm like, I don't think it's what we're seeing at face value. Awesome. You know, that's and again, it's but it's like these, you know, it's one thing to say, like, oh, the reason why America's not using hypersonics is because we're keeping them secret. And no, like Occam's razor would say, no, it's probably because we don't have them. When I look at something like back channels, that's you can, that's pretty that's pretty possible. That's pretty likely yeah. a back I channel. I yeah.
1: Have, you know, I don't have the answer. This is all.
0: Oh, I, it's I wild have, speculation.
1: My knowledge and experience, I can make certain deductions um, and conclusions. And I can't totally discount the fact that last April there was that big meeting with Trump uh, with Biden and Putin and in which. Biden inexplicably removed the Trump sanctions on Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which linked Russian natural gas through Germany and Europe. And uh, nobody said anything. And then we have this crisis a year later, and the Americans, yeah, are sending weapons, but they wouldn't let the Poles send the MiGs. They wouldn't, you know, they're. they're, they're That's what I mean.
0: That's what I mean.
1: So maybe there was a real secret deal hatched. I don't know. But. Until I actually see confirmation of it, I'm leaning toward the fact that we just got outplayed, and sure. Putin's not going to stop. But it's certainly a small possibility, as you say, that this has all been kind of through back channeling, been sort of hatched.
0: Yeah, and, and
1: it's all for show.
0: Yeah, and not not in some like we can't
1: trust anything today. You know,
0: well, you know, I don't think I don't think we ever could. I think now we're just seeing that we can't. It's and not even some like you know this is scripted Illuminati. No, it just be like, there could have been a thing that's like, Hey, you guys can take this. You know, it's like going in, who's it? Richard Bissell, whoever like met, went and met with Stalin. And it was basically like, right. Hey, how much of Europe are you going to carve up after the end of the war? Right. And it was like, right. we look at it now and you're like, why would you do that? And it's like, because that's, that's the reality of how this all works. Hey, you guys and go and take also, Manchuria. Yeah.
1: Remember Dean Acheson, right? Yeah. He, I think he was giving a Harvard commencement in 1950. He goes <laughs> and he says at some point during his speech, public speech he says, you know, we really, Washington doesn't really care about the fate of, of Asia. It's really all about Europe and the Cold War. Well, as soon as Stalin got those marks, remarks translated, within 24 hours, Kim Kim Il-sung is taking an army, you know, within a week, he's taking an army down to South Korea. Yeah. Because the takeaway was, oh, well, the Americans are signaling that they don't really care about Asia. It's all about Europe, so we can, we can do whatever we want in Asia. Uh, and, of course, then the Americans woke up and are like, oh, God, we can't.
0: Yeah, Korea. yeah.
1: You know, and so it could be one of those things where our leaders are thinking this is a good idea on paper, and then they see the execution, and they're like, "Well, God, you know, we got now we got to respond because we look really bad, and we didn't realize the ramifications." Remember, in the run-up to Desert Storm, right? April Glaspie is the ambassador uh, to Iraq. We have a very good relationship with Saddam, and. Saddam meets with April Glaspie, Tariq Tariq Aziz, and Saddam Hussein, and they say, hey, look, the Kuwaitis are stealing our oil. We lost all of these money and men fighting the Iranians for the last 10 years. I've got to recoup my losses. And every time I turn around, the Kuwaitis are taking the only way I can recoup my losses. I'm going to invade Kuwait. What does the George H.W. Bush administration say, or what will they do if I do that? And April Glaspie, who did not receive any you know orders from Washington. Remember, Washington's dealing with the breakdown of the Soviet Union. April Glaspie gives the standard uh, American refrain, and she looks at at Saddam and she says. Um, uh, the American position is not to have a position on internal Arab conflicts, and Saddam and, and Tariq these are like this is great, yeah. so they leave, and they think that George H. W. Bush will back their play, that and actually it'll end up being better for the Americans, as there will be one person to go through all the oil trade with, as opposed to all these different. It'll all work out, and the moment those Iraqi tanks cross into Kuwait, George H. W. Bush stands up and goes, "This will not stand. This this aggression, it will not." And then we're in war. But in fact, there was never any um, commitment on the part of Bush to fight for Kuwait. And in fact, it took Margaret Thatcher, supposedly according to her, giving H.W. Bush a backbone transplant for, for Bush to actually act the way he did and invade or liberate Kuwait in Desert Storm. And so we have instances where American leaders behind the scenes will say one thing thinking it makes sense, but then all of a sudden publicly they realize we look bad or our allies don't like it and now we've got to react. And then it's a complete reversal, and so it's not necessarily a conspiracy. It's one of those things I think where our leaders think one thing at times, and suddenly they have to react differently because the public opinion is so much different than what they thought it would be.
0: It's so weird because I can see like my own cognitive bias and or dissonance or whatever. I'm I'm thinking now like, what if everything right now is happening like exact same things are happening? Let's say Trump's in office, right? Right. What would I, as someone who does like Trump, what would I be saying? I'd be saying, oh, this is a brilliant move to get NATO to start paying their fair share because right. now we're going to get the shit scared out of him. Excuse my French. Seeing Putin right. go into Ukraine, I'd be going, this is a Trump 5D chess move. And then my own bias because it's Biden. I go, he's an idiot that wants us all dead. Right. So, like, I have to see, like, my own sort of lack of sobriety when it comes to staying unbiased. So like...
1: Well, I can tell you if, if Trump were in office, and I say this as somebody who was a supporter of Trump, but also was... I, you can go back and look at my public writings at the American Spectator, the American Greatness. I was critical when I needed to be a president of Trump. I got a lot of flack from people on our side who... you know, I got a lot of hate mail from the White House at times for things I had written. Um, but I stand by what I wrote. Um, if Trump were in office right now, I do not believe we'd be in this... In the situation with Ukraine yeah I I don't and I will tell you I was my master's program one of my professors was one of the lead Sovietologists for 40 years at the DIA and I do remember during the, the summer of 2016 when I was graduating I met with him about something else and he knew I was flirting with the Trump movement and he said, what's your take on Trump? And I told him my opinion. I said, I think that if he can get through the general election, I mean, the, the primary, he will get through the general election. No problem. because people are tired of the Democrats and they were tired of Obama and they were tired and they were looking for someone radically different. And he said, well, I can tell you, he said, I know for a fact the Russians are scared crapless of Trump yeah. because with the Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton or Marco Rubio, they know what they're getting and they know what buttons to push, when to push them, and they generally know the people that they're going to hire to advise them on foreign policy. But with Trump, he is a completely unknown entity and they don't know the advisors around him. They're trying to scramble to figure out what makes him tick. They don't know. he. They think he's a lunatic. They think he's greedy. They think he's selfish. They think he's a lot like the bad guys they have to deal with on the world stage. And that scares them because the Americans, that means, will be unhinged. And for four years or maybe eight years, they're going to have to be dealing with this guy who could wake up one day and decide to go to war or not. And so they were scared. And that unpredictability kept the peace, I think. Remember, Trump, they said, was a Russian asset. And yet in Syria in 2018, near Deir Zor, Trump ordered the destruction of 400 Russian mercenaries who were about to overrun uh, American and uh, Syrian YPG uh, forces fighting uh, in Deir Zor. 400 Russian mercs. Were killed, and if you've ever heard the audio, which was released by the State Department to the New Yorker, if you ever heard the audio transcripts, we intercepted the Russian calls for help back to their commanders. If you ever hear it, it, it is it is horrific what we did to them. We went in and slaughtered the Russians, four hundred of them, and that's the Russian agent in the White House supposedly doing that, right? You know, yeah. Trump pulls out of the internet the, the the intermediate range nuclear forces agreement. You know, you know that 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 really got Putin going because you know that's that really upended the parity between uh, Russia and America. Could have maybe had a bad consequence that we're seeing today, maybe, but. Trump did that. That's a Russian agent supposedly doing that in the White House, remember? I mean, he supposedly was this Manchurian candidate. Uh, You know, they had all this compromise on him. Um, Well, he did a lot of things that were not in Russia's favor. He sent billions of dollars of lethal aid to Ukraine for years. He did, according to the Heritage Foundation, he got, every year he was in office, he got NATO to spend $50 $50 billion more on their combined defense than any previous president had that's not good for Russia. You know, in fact, the kind of solidarity we're seeing if there's any at all on Europe's part and any capability we're seeing them give to Ukraine is likely because of those four years of Trump getting the the Europeans to spend more on active defense than they had previously. So, you know, what you're getting in the media is not the truth about Trump. And I do not believe had we been in trump's second administration today i don't think we would see the ukraine crisis the way it is i just don't
0: no I, I i i don't i don't think so either i mean we're kind of on the receiving end we're on the business end of the madman barrel we're seeing what right. it's like to look at putin and go is he taking kiev are he and zelensky gonna shake hands tomorrow right is a thermonuclear weapon gonna hit san francisco tomorrow right. We're seeing the business end of Madman.
1: Right. And you got to remember, Biden, look, I don't think the United States should send troops. I I don't think we should we should escalate beyond what we've done because I don't want to risk a world war. Um, But but why on earth did Biden at the start of this crisis start outlining and telegraphing what we won't do to the world? You yeah. know, Trump, big, his biggest complaint that resonated with a lot of voters in 2016 was when he would go off about how Obama telegraphs everything. Yeah, we're
0: going to be invading. Yeah. yeah, You
1: know, we need to instill a little degree of fear in our enemies into thinking that maybe, just maybe, we will go all the way. And we won't, but maybe if our enemies think our leader's crazy, like Trump was, maybe that'll force them to step back yeah. from the break yeah. and negotiate.
0: I remember it was like August 2016. and I, <laughs> One of the first things that ever got me kind of pay attention to Trump was just this clip of him going, you know, someone saying like, would you use nuclear weapons in Europe? And he goes, I'm not saying we wouldn't. It's just what's the point of having them? if we, and I, That was the first time I ever went, what the fuck? Like, who, who is this? <laughs> now,
1: right. To an ordinary person like you or I, that makes sense. But having worked in D.C. and worked in those <sighs> halls of power, they were crapping bricks. Yeah, because of course you take because in their mind it's it's a logical thing. It's a box in their mind. You, you create the parameter of what you're not going to do. That way, the enemy knows that they can't that they that they have room to maneuver, but they don't have so much room. And it's like, no, wait a second. When you're talking about world war and potentially you know apocalyptic warfare, you have to scare the hell out of the other side. That way, they don't even flirt with it. Yeah. That way that they, they don't even risk bringing that to bear. And they will prefer to negotiate and to do deals. Because ultimately, it's better for everybody if we do a deal. And that was Trump's logic, you know. And, and you read the art of the deal, and you see that line in there about how when he's negotiating, you know, he keeps he, he keeps he he asks for the insane amount, and then he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing until the other side comes somewhere near that. He's won through that negotiation. This is how Trump lived. And so the Russians, they also negotiate like that. It's called uh, the— uh, I think it's, I forgot how to pronounce it, but they have a style of negotiation. In Russian, there is no word for compromise. So you're dealing with people who, and they view compromise as losing, weakness. They, yeah. they associate compromise, any compromise, with having lost. It's zero sum thinking. And Modi Kristol, who's a great Israeli, he's a professional negotiator, advises Fortune 500 companies. I quote him in my book that the, when you're dealing with the Russian, whether it's a Soviet or it's a Russian businessman or it's Putin, you have to remember that they come from a culture where compromises views, viewed as losing and negotiations are zero-sum. Well, Trump is the only American negotiator in my lifetime who was the same way. And so that helped us, keeping the Russians back, Yeah. right? And so yeah, it's unfortunate that we don't have someone like that anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to use the restroom again. This is my this is my second water bottle of crushed sure. through. On. You're you're gonna monologue again, and then uh, I can go to like one thirty, one forty-five. I want. We can
1: to, end it in the next five ten minutes if you want. Yeah. Mean, yeah.
0: No, well, I'm enjoying this because I want to go into I want to go into right. the, the upcoming elections. All right.
1: One is fine then. One is right. fine. Perfect monologue. Um, so the. Uh, the issue of Vladimir Putin is little understood. Uh, he, he is somebody we think is a strategic genius. He's a tactical genius, um, but two-dimensionally, he can be, a, he can be a, a two-dimensional strategic thinker. And so something I think audiences need to be aware of is his Ukraine invasion has not gone according to plan. But just because it has not gone according to plan does not mean that he's going to give up anytime soon. Uh, In fact, now that he has totally backed himself into this corner where the whole world is turned against him, uh, and even the Chinese are now talking about the need to negotiate, and the Chinese are now talking about the need to respect Ukrainian sovereignty, which is very odd for the Chinese to say, uh, I think Moscow is now looking around going, I've got to double down. And that's what you're dealing with in Vladimir Putin. He is doubling down everywhere. Uh, He's not going to stop. He needs to be able to claim victory in Ukraine because that he thinks will restore his political standing at home It will also allow him to do more on the geopolitical stage. His ultimate goal, as I noted earlier, I think, is to connect Russian power with at least the Transnistrian region of Moldova and then to be able to threaten more directly Poland and the Baltic states. Uh, And I also think that he believes the NATO uh, military threat is hollow, and so we're dealing with a guy who no longer fears us, uh, which is why we need to be looking out for escalation in space, in cyber, across the electromagnetic spectrum, and in sci- uh, and, and with nuclear weapons, possibly.
0: So, is there? I was going to say I, I did want to talk about the twenty twenty four election, but I was thinking maybe yeah. maybe we could actually kind of kind of. And this one, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll not no, not not and but lead it into next week. What was the creation of space force? I like my little my little. I don't I kind of it's more that I want to believe it than I do believe it. But I kind of think the creation of space force was actually like the declassification of space force. And I know that there was I know the air force was taking control of it. But I look at things like the NRO and the NSA that like officially didn't exist until they existed. Do you think that? Do you think that there is something in Space Force that, again, is leading to the reason why we're acting the way we're acting? Or I actually think most likely there probably was a backroom deal. And it's basically like you can go up to this line and you guys can go, go, go do whatever you want in Ukraine. Do you think there's something more along the lines of there's perhaps a weapon system in Space Force? And I know we kind of touched on that earlier with is is there an SDI?
1: Well, you know, I do consult with the Pentagon and I was actively, that's why I wrote the book, I was actively involved, especially in the beginning of the Trump administration with uh, Space Force rollout. Um, What I saw was that we really let our capabilities wither on the vine and that Space Force should have happened 20 years ago. Uh, You're right, we did have different organizations involved in sort of the military side of space they were not well-coordinated. They were staffed, and Space Force today is staffed by a lot of people who are skeptical of American space power, who don't believe we should be using space for military purposes or limited purposes at least. Uh, they're utopian thinkers or they're, they're naysayers who just think that it's too expensive. Why are we doing it? Um, so I, what I saw was that we were very weak in space, and that weakness was becoming noticed by our enemies. And they were starting to exploit that weakness. They reorganized, Russia and China reorganized their their militaries to fight a space war, space war in 2010, 2013. Uh, so we did it in 2016, 17, kind of. Space Force today is the smallest branch of the United States military. I believe the Coast Guard is bigger. Uh, we have, whenever it comes up, the military refuses to say that they will start creating a manned military facility in orbit, which we should do for various reasons. They refuse to take the lead in talking about strategic implications of what happens when and if we lose the moon to China. They don't want to talk about it. Um, They don't have a plan for it. So I don't actually think this was some, you know, coming out party. I, I think this was, we were for years negligent in space. We still kind of are. Uh, and Trump was the only guy who had the gumption to do something about it or try to do something about it. But the bureaucracy, bureaucracy fought him, right? The Bureaucracy fought him on this. Um, space force should have been an independent branch. It's technically independent in the way the Marine Corps is right. The Marine Corps reports technically to the department of the Navy. Um, space force is part of the department of the air force. There should have been a department of the space force. Um, Space Force, like I said, is the smallest branch. It has a pathetic funding. It's a joke. The funding that they get, uh, the leaders of Space Force were handpicked to basically be politically correct. And to basically, we needed like the Billy Mitchells. We're not getting them. You know, we needed people who could think about space in strategic ways and who were head bashers and who were basically gonna go out and conquer space. We don't have those people. People that I've consulted with, a couple of them are. For the most part, though, you'll find more of those guys in the Air Force than you'll find on the Space Force. Um, There's no get-up-and-go. It's very politically correct. The bureaucracy has been doing its best to restrain and hem in Space Force. In fact, there's a rumor that Space Force will eventually be folded back into the Air Force completely, that it won't exist in another few years. Uh, In fact, I think it was Cooper, out of the Democrat out of Washington State, tried to get a bill passed in june of 2021 that would have effectively killed space force and it almost got the traction it needed to do that remember when biden assumed office jen Psaki in april last year of 2021 came out and was mocking the space force openly from the podium um in the updated paperback version of winning space which is coming out soon the new intro is all about that um so i actually don't think this is some secret we're letting out. I think we really let ourselves go in space and the enemy knew it and was doing things in space. Remember in 2018, Russia deployed co-orbital satellites uh, along with their Rodnik communication satellite. We watched the satellite go up. It was a standard Russian military satellite and then suddenly pieces broke off, smaller pieces. And when we phoned Moscow and said, what the heck is that? They said, oh, don't worry about it. Those are repair drones. Not likely. Uh, What's more probable is that those are space stalkers that are designed to tailgate American-sensitive satellites and then, with grappling arms, push them from their orbits during a crisis. And the Russians have been seeding the orbits for the last five or six years with those systems. Jesus. The Chinese uh, did a similar test in geosynchronous orbit in November uh, with Shijian-21. Now, they claim it's a garbage collector designed to collect the hazardous space junk that could be destructive to any satellite or spaceship crossing that orbit. Um, But the same system that can be used for junk removal can be used to destroy and sabotage American satellites in orbit, rendering us deaf, dumb, and blind on Earth. And... um, so, no, I, I don't think Space Force was some, you know, gotcha moment. I think I think it was uh, a long time coming. And because it's a Trump initiative, the bureaucracy has been doing everything in its power to kill it. And if they do succeed in killing and or continuing to marginalize it, it we will lose a space war very soon. And once you lose a space war, as my friend Yasik Bartoziak has said, it's sort of like that goes and then everything else sort of falls apart. And that's the Achilles heel. And um, we're not doing enough in space, even still. And, uh, you know, my fear is that my book will be read as sort of the way we read, you know, the old phrase, while Europe slept. You know, completely avoidable. My friend Michelle Walker, she has coined the term gray rhino. Uh, it's sort of like a black swan, but it's a gray rhino Is an event you know about. You feel the stampede. You know it's coming. The earth is shaking. It seems far away, though, so you sort of ignore it. You don't prioritize it until it's too late. The stampede's upon you, and you get trampled. And that's what I think a space Pearl Harbor is going to be. It's like file, That's where I think we're headed.
0: It's like filing taxes.
1: Yeah. You wait till it's last 30
0: month. January, 30 February, 30 March. How did I let this Everybody's happen? Right. Yeah, sure. how did I let? No, me too. I was I'm like, "No, sure. uh, come on." Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I again,
1: what Trump, there'd be no space force still.
0: Absolutely, I it would have never happened. Yeah, I guess there's maybe there's still like the doe eyed optimist in me. Maybe it's like a defense mechanism, so I don't go insane and think that it's all over. I don't know. It's
1: but, not all over though. Like I said, there is hope. I mean, people talk to me and they get very depressed because they never ask me like. The hopeful part. Well, I was, I was
0: about to, I was about to get on as as I now I'm, now I am going to demand of you some good news because I, I can't I can't go over the rest of my day thinking that China is going to zap me from space. So yeah. you, you now have to bring me out of the depression that you have thrown me into.
1: Well, let's think about this. Well, first of all, China and Russia these are countries that have a lot of problems of their own, right? And there is a chance that these regimes are going to implode. Mm-hmm. Soon. Now, that makes them more dangerous. Sure, but, but, you know, there's a chance that they're going to implode soon. Failing that, beyond that, um, the Americans still have all the tools we need to be remain the superpower. Right? We still have all the pieces in place. We still have the scientists. We still have the money. We still have the, the capability. The problem is how do we get the leadership to recognize that and to tell the doers in society – to do what we need them to do, to give us the capability to at least stay matched with their enemy, preferably to leapfrog our enemy. Right? So in the 80s, you had Reagan. Reagan came in and said, we're gonna outspend and out-innovate the Soviets and break them that way. And that's what we did. He brought, he used all those tools. He brought them all together in one toolbox and he used them. Um Trump started to do that right? Trump started to do that with Space Force. He started to do that by investing in quantum computing and R&D and started saying, we gotta, we, we, there were things going on in the high-tech R&D sector that happened precisely because Trump was ordering them to be done. No other president would or has done similar things. Biden started to a little bit, but that's more because of his advisors around him are, are recognizing that they're tech people, but they're slow to this, the game too. So, um, So we have the basic tools and infrastructure we need to be successful. We have a long history of being successful. And so all it takes is the right sort of leader with the right kind of commitment to get this done. And thankfully, every two and four years, like I said, we can turn on a dime. And I think the Republicans are going to sweep 2022. And I think that's going to set us up nicely for 24 um but it's really going to be contingent on where the electorate is in 2024 and where the country is. If we're anywhere near where we are now or where we were 2 years ago, the incumbent is not going to win. There's a chance though the incumbent's not going to run. Yeah. Biden Biden might not run.
0: I don't think he will.
1: I don't know. If he's around he might. There's a chance also that Kamala Harris isn't going to be the one. I would be looking at and I say this Hillary when you get headlines but I'm looking at Hillary Clinton. Again.
0: Probably. Yeah, no, I mean, who else?
1: Obama. Yeah. You have to remember in the Democratic Party, there are two factions right now that have been vying for power since 08. That's the Obama Chicago wing and the Hillary Clinton wing. Now, they work together because they have to. But Hillary Clinton, as long as she has breath in her lungs, she's going to try to find a way to get power. And Obama, his, his girl, Kamala Harris can't win an election if her life depended on it. And if Biden's not running and she's the top of the ticket, maybe she brings the minority voters along. Maybe, but maybe also, be, maybe she she doesn't she's not able to do it. And then that's the question of who's going to run. And then maybe Michelle has to step in because they don't want to see Hillary and the Clinton wing get back in power. And what? you could conceivably see a Trump hillary rematch <laughs> um which i you know god funny. that would be i just don't i don't think we're i don't think we should do that again um preferably it'd be ron desantis i live in florida i know ron desantis i worked with him when he was a rep i think he'd be great
0: he won't respond to my emails i keep trying to get him on my podcast
1: he doesn't respond to anybody's emails. i
0: know he's, he's, he's I, too busy. I know it's 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 very hurtful
1: so he, you know, maybe he's the guy. But if Trump's going to run, I guarantee you, DeSantis won't run in twenty-four. Yeah, don't, 24.
0: don't, yeah, don't burn your, don't burn your. Uh, and
1: so, you know, could be Trump Hillary. If that's that would the case, be hilarious. I think Trump
0: wins. That would be hilarious. But if
1: it's Trump Michelle Obama, I think Trump loses. I think,
0: I think, I think a, Trump loses. I think, this is all, this is all predicated upon us having fair elections. But man, if 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 Trump was really booted out because whether or not you could attribute to them, but you're just looking at, like, the immediate snapshot, race riots, COVID, you know, you just want to change. You don't care. You just want to change. You know, right. it's like it's like when dad's just like, I don't care who who hit who first. Everybody shut up. Like, right. you know, you're just getting yelled at when you're a kid.
1: Right.
0: I mean, if inflation just keeps going at a steady clip, if the supply chain's completely screwed... And
1: it will it for w- over two years. We're going to be in a crisis mm-hmm. because of Ukraine
0: now. Yeah, but that's what I mean, is you get to that point, you might have a lot of people who whether it can or can't be attributed to Biden, I think it can be, but I'm obviously biased. I think you're going to have a lot of people that are just saying anything else, anything else, anything but this guy.
1: Well, I I know a commodities guy who's insistent that we're going to be at $200 a barrel per oil. uh, Oh Jesus. And May, July, between May and July of this year. (laughs) Don't they think? (laughs) $200 a barrel. And I told him, I said, well then, then that's a recession. He goes, you think? Don't they think? At that point, Biden's really screwed don't like
0: they, he screwed them don't they think gold, don't they think gold's gonna go up to like five thousand an ounce or yeah, something it's insane. which is it's all insane. wild there's always wild speculation the it's world right, much,
1: it's, okay. but you have to understand that like then you've got the food <laughs> crisis that's going to be coming now yeah
0: fertilizer shortage
1: million people Ukraine feeds a 100 million people and it's in April harvest season and there's no way the Ukraine is going to be able to harvest <laughs> all that they need to harvest to feed those people so you're in know, Africa and the Middle East you're going to have food shortages. You're already seeing spikes in food prices because of the drought that's going on in South America, and they can't grow as much now, and now you take Ukraine out of the picture, you've got problems. Russia's a huge agricultural producer. We're probably going to start sanctioning the agricultural products. We haven't already. I don't know if we have yet. Out um, of coming out of Russia. So when you take those supplies offline, you're going to create massive price spikes, and it's going to take years to recover from that.
0: How much of this, if any, is coordinated? I mean, how much of this is some World Economic Forum crap? How much of this is top down, or is is
1: I don't know? You know, I we I I, have joked.
0: I go back. I go back and forth with it.
1: Yeah, I have joked in the past that you know, joked. I have said to my friend Michael Walsh, who's who's actually has a book coming out on the Great Reset. uh, I have said. uh, you know, clearly, in order to get the Great Reset, we have to have World War III to call the herd. Uh, you know, we got to get rid of the deplorables. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if there's anything to that stuff. It's interesting to read about sure. and to speculate, but what I do know is we are choosing to sanction things. We are choosing certain to, to, to make certain decisions and to take certain actions that will have really bad impacts on not just the global economy, but on specifically middle-class Americans. And a lot of it to me seems short-sighted if I'm being generous. And a lot of it seems malicious if I'm not being generous. Because it's people like me, it's people like my, my neighbors, very uh, middle-class people who have to fill up Every week, and are watching our hard earned money, more of it be spent on gasoline. I'm watching, I can't buy my local Publix here. There's three Publixes near me, the grocery store.
0: I miss Publix.
1: No, I, yeah, I
0: I lived in Georgia for 15 years. I miss Publix and Kroger.
1: Not a single Publix in my area has um, saltine crackers available. Not had saltine crackers available for three months. And this is basic stuff. Yeah. I can't buy more than one... I have, there's certain products I can't buy more than one thing of. Right? It's not just toilet paper shortages we're talking about anymore. It's now shortages across the board. Beef has become really expensive. I know. Really
0: expensive. I, know. I've, I've, I, like I know. I like to grow.
1: I know. to grow.
0: Yeah. No, I... I... I, I know how expensive beef has become. I eat a ton of protein every day. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's through the roof. Yeah, I look at, I look at something like the Great Reset, and I can't. And I'm a guy. I love conspiracy. I've interviewed Charlie Duke, who's walked on the moon, and it was awesome. But it also made me sad because like I couldn't believe in like moon conspiracies anymore. I was like, well, they're, so like I like them. I like them for like my. I love I love them as like mental exercises. I also love them because they're fun. But I look at this, and too much of it does seem like it seems too much like a constellation where you look up at the stars and you see an image, but it's not necessarily real. It's so,
1: I don't believe in conspiracy. Yeah. Well,
0: well, we, well, we look at the whole thing. Right and it, it almost feels like we're creating like well of course that's the only way to explain it because i think the reality is a lot scarier a bioweapon was created and was probably leaked by accident and like right. this is all going on this isn't some coordinated thing putin really is at the end of his life and he's going i'm going to restore greatness to mother russia right. Re-. exactly. the reality is a lot scarier that hey right. there isn't an evil german eugenesis behind it this is just the insanity of man right. that's the exactly. that's the scariest <laughs> conspiracy right. Yeah.
1: Right. it's not a conspiracy either. It's I know. A fact of human nature, you know. I mean, yeah, this is why so many people worship Christianity, right? Because <laughs> the Bible trying to address you gotta, the fallen nature of man.
0: You got to find something to 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 justify it, because right. the reality of it is just so absurd. But to me, right. there's also a beauty in the reality when there's not an evil guy at Davos pulling the strings, and you realize right. this is just man. Well, then. It's like when you realize that like you're responsible for your own weight gain and you're like this isn't genetics this isn't you go it sucks and then you go well let's get to the gym and let's stop eating ice cream on Friday and then you right, see right. the your weight start to shrink right. y- you see that with this too it's okay nobody's at the helm this is just the insanity of man we that's really exactly are just things, we right. really are just upright monkeys with thumbs right but then you go oh so let's let's start working let's get to work and let's try to make it better
1: that's right and, and it, right, and we used to have leadership that that did that. Yeah, until very recently. Yeah. Now it seems it's not just in America. It seems like across the board, the world's leaders, including Putin and Xi, suck. They just suck. <laughs> you know? like, yeah.
0: They just they They just, they, just like, suck. They just
1: suck. Yeah. Like I, I don't know how else you know. I try to put it in an academic way, but they're just awful. They're like these overgrown kids that you know want their little you know thing and they don't recognize that now these monkeys with thumbs have the ability to kill everything with a button
0: yeah, and with that no thumb
1: really working it out
0: yeah i will say one of the guys i've interviewed several times is former green beret former cia joe kent who's running yeah. uh, out of washington state mm-hmm. i've interviewed him five times and i actually got to go to a fundraiser with him like two nights ago i'm and i look at that guy and listen to him talk and I'm like, oh, this kind of, this is what I always imagine would be like to like see Kennedy rising. You see this dude who's just hitting every nail on the head, and I see him, and I right. go, I go, the country's not totally screwed. Maybe yeah. it is.
1: Well, it's, that's why I say it. it's still hope. I mean,
0: there absolutely know, is.
1: You know, for me, what I do, what I talk about, the areas I talk about, they sound depressing. It's because <laughs> these are weak points that in my career I've identified and no one else really talks about. So I try to highlight those weak points, not to say we're doomed, but to say, look, we're in a hole, and it's deeper than we've been in before. we got to start climbing out now. Yeah. And in my book, I provide explicit solutions uh, you know, for how we do that for space. But my next book, I provide how we do that with Iran. And it's not by invading the Middle East again, but it's certainly not by giving them nukes, which is what Biden's doing. You know, with China, it's not by initiating a world war Uh, you know, it's, it's by creating deterrence the way we used to, and we don't do it anymore because we're arrogant and ignorant. Um, so, you know, there's, there's ways out and we do have, as you say, leaders in the next generation that are climbing up in both parties, by the way, who provide, I think, I think a real hopefulness. It's just, I call this the 2020s, I call it the decade of concern, um, because, there's so much imbalance and, and there's so much sucky leadership that we just have to grin and bear it and hopefully not nuke each other and not end everything on some stupid argument. And if we can get through the next eight years relatively safely, I think the 2030s could end up being very prosperous and could end up being very good for America in particular, but we've got to figure out how to get through this decade. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that is that is the importance. Is like it's not like you're like a harbinger of doom and gloom, but rather it's like red cell teams that are hired to find. It's like when like the White House well, will. Con- one
1: of the things I used to do was I used to do I used I was a consummate red teamer.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, so yeah.
1: So, you know, like you know, I was brought in. Most the last one I did was Baltic Storm 2025, um, and one of the things I did was I was the all source intel lead for uh, this private company. They were NGA guys, but they were doing it privately. And they said you're a Russia guy, so you're going to lead the Russian team, and we're going to we're going to basically handicap you. And your job is to figure out how you're going to beat NATO. And you know they, they changed the parameters of the game at the end there. Uh, but I did win, and it was because um, I I was thinking unconventionally. Yeah. And so we just need to get leaders who understand unconventional thinking. And yeah. With Trump, he was rough around the he was a Bulgarian. He was sure. Rough around the edges. I wouldn't want to hang out with him too much, probably. No. Um, but he was unconventional. Yeah. Putin is unconventional. Xi is unconventional. Raisi in Iran is unconventional. Kim Jong-un is unconventional. Nobody would have believed he would have gone to Singapore and had a real breaking bread moment with Trump. But he did it. Yeah, He defied expectations. Yeah. We have unconventional leaders. We've had them. We need them back in America. Yeah. We need the game changers.
0: Yeah so i guess we'll kind of close out with this yeah. do you think you, you think trump trump you think trump's gonna uh, run in 2024
1: if he's uh, not indicted yes <laughs> and even if he is indicted maybe i'm
0: just i'm doing it anyway who cares break. forget forget about you're have it
1: to break me. you're, gonna, you're ha- gonna have to put
0: me in jail he might do it man he might do yeah, it I, I, I don't yeah it, i mean i mean what we're a year and a year and two months in, we've got seven point nine percent inflation, a breakdown of supply chain, calling right. parents at home and school meetings terrorists, and we're on the verge of thermonuclear Armageddon, right. with rampant big tech censorship.
1: The people need me.
0: I mean, man, you, they're 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 putting up the, the the bat signal. They're putting up the Trump signal. Not even yeah. like Trump supporters. It's his opponents are crafting it right. unintentionally.
1: And they took away his Twitter, which actually is probably having the reverse impact because now he can't mean tweet at 4 a.m. and get everybody mad. And so now when he does make a statement, it's very serious and sober. And, and you know, he's taken more seriously now. And so it's sort of like he's like the Teflon man. You can't quite, he, you know. It is kind of
0: like he's him. it is kind of like he's like writing from jail. <laughs> you know, it's like he's yeah. like slipping it out in yeah. like in like the, yeah. the hamper. Like here's his yeah. letters. Yeah, right. and because he can't fire it off from Air Force One, right. it's like right. he has to like wait a minute to type it. and right. maybe said
1: he like facsimiles out in like yeah. 1990. You know? Yeah, he's it's, like, uh,
0: maybe I shouldn't say California's going to hell, you know, like backspace, right. backspace, backspace. Or right. yeah. I don't know, man, but let's wrap this we'll one say. up. Brandon, Mr. Weikert yeah thank you so much for coming on man thank you yeah happy to be here that was a so blast we yeah well we are gonna do it again as next i text week, you we're, we're doing happy. it again yeah i got you right. i got winning space so we're gonna well i'm gonna read right. that we're gonna go through that i'll put your uh i'll put your social media and all your links and all thank that you. good stuff in the description i'll send you the episode when it's up and awesome. uh I look forward to talking to you again next week man
1: thank you
0: thank you so much take go. care everybody you as well god bless thank good you everybody take care man